Aren't you glad the Lord is going to come again? He promised He would, and He's never failed to keep a promise. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians, chapter number 4. And our text for this morning is verse number 28. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. I know at first thought, you're probably wondering why in the world would you devote an entire message to this one verse? Well, the simple answer is because it's in the Bible and I'm supposed to preach God's Word. But you know, the fact of the matter is there's a need for the message because a lot of folks today, Christians included, don't... uh, really don't think about the need to be warned about stealing. After all, you know, we say, you know, Christians are supposed to be honest. Well, the the fact of the matter is, stealing isn't just a problem for unbelievers. It is a problem for professing believers also. You might not think so, but it really is. And we just seldom see it as a problem. It reminds me of the little boy, you know, in school and the teacher was talking to them and uh, about the auto industry and wanted to know and asked the class if they could maybe list some of the benefits that we have derived from the uh, automotive industry. And there was silence. Nobody said a word for a little while. And finally, one little boy spoke up. and He said, well, it sure stopped horse stealing. And uh, <laughs> it'll click with some of you after a while. You'll get it. It's a time joke. You can laugh tomorrow. And, you know, it might have solved horse stealing, but it didn't solve stealing, did it? It's still a problem today. And the sad thing is, we just do everything in our power to get around it. We don't want to fess up to it. We don't want to admit it. We're like the fellow that went to the priest for confession one day, and he goes into the priest, into the confessional booth there, and he said, well, he said, my wife is angry, and she made me uh, come here and uh, tell you uh, that I have stolen some hubcaps. And the priest said, well, she's got a right to be angry. That is wrong. And so the man said to the priest, said, well, can I give them to you? Will you take them? He said, why, certainly not. I'm not going to take them. Take them back to the man you stole them from. He said, I offered to him, and he wouldn't take them. And so the priest said, well, then, if he wouldn't take them, then they're yours to keep. And so the man went and said, you know, thank you, Father, and left. And later that afternoon, the priest went outside to get in his car and noticed his hubcaps was gone. So... uh, You see, we try to finagle all of these different ways to get around the fact that we're really not stealing, you know, if we can, if we can some way outsmart the other guy. But the truth of the matter is, stealing is a real problem in our world today. Now, there's three things I want you to notice about this verse. First of all, 
the prohibition that is declared. This is what God prohibits. Notice, let him that stole steal no more. You know, if a lot of people, if they knew they wouldn't get caught, they would steal. And then there are those who would not steal a penny, but if they knew they could get by with stealing a large sum of money, well, they'd do it in a heartbeat. You need to be careful about saying what you will never do. Oh, I'd never steal anything from anybody. Oh, the stakes just hadn't been high enough yet. Now, you'd be surprised what you'll do when the price gets right. It would surprise you how many people, how many professing Christians are guilty of this very sin that we're talking about. Now, people steal for a lot of different reasons. There are some people that steal out of desperation. I'll tell you, whenever you get hungry, you know, you'll do a lot of strange things. Some people leave and work. <laughs> but, but others will steal out of desperation. And there are people in the world today, and listen, the Bible even talks about that. You know, that it's hard to blame a man who is starving when he steals something to eat, but it's stealing. But not only out of desperation, some people steal out of a covetous spirit. They just can't get enough. It makes no difference what they've got. They want more, and if they can't afford it, their credit's no longer any good, and they can't buy it, then they'll steal it. But then there are those that steal because of the thrill of it. In other words, thrill-seeking. They, they get a thrill out of it. You, you would be amazed how many people are in prison today, all because they got involved in a life of crime, because, man, they got a rush, uh, an adrenaline high out of it. I just can't imagine these people that, that climb mountain climbers, especially those, what do you call it, free climbing where you've got no equipment. You're clinging by your toes and your fingernails up there on the side of a mountain. I just can't imagine anyone, you know, I, I, in fact, I don't want to get up that high unless I'm in an airplane to start with, but to get up there and be hanging on to my fingernails, I'm not going to do it. And the only reason they do that is they get a thrill out of it. Now listen, just as some people climb mountains to get that adrenaline rush, there are some people that steal for the same reason. When I was a boy growing up, I was one of those. And I shamefully admit that as a boy growing up, it was a challenge. I mean, we would shoplift or... I'd been in every garage and every house in the whole neighborhood at some time or another, would steal anything I could get my hands on as long as I knew that nobody's going to catch me. Or at least I thought nobody could catch me. And it was high school until I got caught finally. And thank God it was a merciful man. And, uh, but anyway, that's another story. I, I'm telling you, there are people that do this just for the thrill they get out of it. And then there are people that do it out of revenge. And there are a lot of other reasons we could talk about. And then there are several ways in which we steal. It might be robbery. <laughs> um, well, you know, you've got to be a, a, not quite all there nowadays, especially if you're in Texas 
to walk in a store and try to rob it with all of these guys carrying concealed. Somebody's talking about them. You know, somebody said the other day, it's a wonder churches aren't robbed more often. <laughs> they better not try it here. I'll tell you what. <laughs> they don't know what's in store for them. <laughs> but they have people that steal by way of robbery, and then they're shoplifting. But then there's the cheating on taxes or maybe non-payment. You know, a lot of people that would never rob a bank, they got the idea that it's all right, they can run their credit up sky high and then just never pay it. You're stealing. There's not one bit of difference. You're taking the risk of getting shot out of it, but, but there's no difference. You're stealing when you don't pay the debt that you owe. And the Bible speaks about other ways like unjust weights or measurements, in other words. You go down to the store and you say, I want a pound of bologna. And, you know, if they give you a half a pound because they have adjusted the scales, listen, that's stealing. They're stealing money out of your pocket. And it might be another form, that of maybe unfair wages. James speaks about that. Whenever a person hire someone and pays them unfair wages, they're guilty of stealing. And then there are other things we can do, loafing on the job. You, that's stealing. You get to work, you know, every day 30 minutes late, leave 30 minutes early, and don't do hardly anything in between. You're stealing. You're guilty of stealing. And now we've got a new avenue with the, you know, with the Internet. Now we've got, we've got identity theft. Man, that's a story in itself. Millions have lost billions of dollars because of identity theft. But then there's another form I haven't mentioned, and maybe a form that you haven't even thought about. Turning your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Yeah, you guessed it, chapter number 3. Malachi chapter number 3, verse 8 Listen to this question. Will a man rob God? Question mark. Well, you, you, you read that and you think to yourself, well, certainly no Christian would. Certainly no Baptist would. Certainly, you know, a person that says, I love God, surely they wouldn't turn around and rob God. But this is the question. Notice, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, now listen to them, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all of the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me, that is, put me to the test, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. A dear preacher friend of mine some years ago, they discovered that one of the officers in the church had been taking money from the church. And then sometime later, someone broke into the church and stole a bunch of equipment out of the church. This preacher friend of mine stood before the congregation and said, you know, you really 
I'm paraphrasing now, you really give these people down the road. They stole stuff that belongs to us here in this church, but some of you is not tithing and you're robbing God. You're not one bit better than that person. Ooh. Listen, there's some of you would be really upset if you go out there to your car this afternoon and find out somebody has taken everything out of it or maybe taken the whole kit and caboodle. It's all gone. They stole your car. But you don't think anything about robbing God by not tithing and the tithes and the offerings. And God says, listen, this isn't me saying this. God says this. He says, you have robbed me. I talked last week about whether or not God is able to bless a church. And many times God is hindered from doing what He wants to do because of the sin that's going on in the lives of believers. And let me ask you a question. Do you think the church is in a condition to where God can do everything He wants to do and bless us to the full extent that He desires to do? Do you think God can really do that if a large percentage of the people in the church, the members of the church, are stealing from God? Of course not. Did you notice what he said? You are cursed with a curse. Now, this is God pronouncing a curse upon the person that's stealing from him. This is as serious as it can get. It's not just God withholding his blessings from you. It's God putting a curse upon you. That's why the Bible says of such people, they have a bag with holes in it. In other words, regardless of how much they put in it and they keep putting in it, the bag's got holes in it and it keeps going and they never get enough. It's never enough there. And the reason is, is when we rob God, God's going to get it one way or the other. You might not like the price that you've got to pay. So is this verse here really appropriate for our day and age? I think it is. I don't know who gives. I don't want to know. I don't look at the records. Brother Ron can tell you I never get in there and try to find out who's giving what. I don't want to know. But I want you to know if you're here today and you're not a tither, you're a thief. You're robbing God, and, and, and I'm not angry with you. I'm hurt, and I, and I care for you. And I want you to know God says, I'm putting a curse upon you. You want the blessings of God, then you better get right with God and give God what belongs to Him. Notice, let Him that stole... Now, notice he's talking about Christians. These are the things they used to do. Let him that stole steal no more. You used to do it. Don't do it anymore. Stop it. That's what he's saying. That's the prohibition. But notice the precept that is described. We have a prohibition declared, but a precept described, and here it is. But rather, in other words, instead of stealing, notice what he says, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Somebody said many years ago, the only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary. And, and yet work is a dirty four-letter word in the mind of a lot of people. They just don't esteem it as they should. I heard somebody say that some people think that manual labor is the president of Mexico. 
They don't have a clue what manual labor really is. They don't know anything about hard work. And yet the Bible is commanding us right here, instead of stealing, we ought to labor, we ought to work. I read about an example. The union steward had a meeting with all of the union people, and here they are in the meeting hall, and he's discussing everything. And he says, comrades, we have agreed on a new deal with management. We'll no longer work four days a week. And they went, hip, hip, hooray! He said, we'll finish work at 4 p.m., not 5 p.m. Hip, hip, hooray! Then he said, we'll start work at 10 a.m., not 9 a.m. Hip, hip, hooray, they said. He goes on and says, we'll get a 150% pay raise. They said, hip, hip, hooray! And then he said, and we'll work only on Wednesdays. And there was a long silence. And finally one man spoke up and said, every Wednesday? (laughs) Do, do, Do you see the mentality that we're dealing with in the world today? Listen, one of the most serious problems in America today is this, that far too many people have a sense of entitlement. They want something for nothing, and it's ruining our nation. Many years ago, I jotted down in the flyleaf of my Bible this statement by Theodore Roosevelt. He said, the things that will destroy America are prosperity at any price, Peace at any price, safety first instead of duty first, the love of soft living and the get-rich theory of life. And I think he is right about that, and a lot of people have that kind of mindset. And the Bible says we are to labor. That word labor means to grow weary, tired, exhausted. It means that we are to work to the point of exhaustion. There are some people... That, 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 that have never in all of their life spent one day working. Now, they've played, but never spent a day working hard enough to exhaust themselves. They're like the man that, you know, was bragging about. He said, I always give 100% at work. He said, I give 12% on Monday, 23% Tuesday, 40% Wednesday, 20% Thursday, and 5% on Friday. And that's about the way some people are, you know, instead of really working. And the Bible says we are to labor. Instead of stealing, instead of depending on other people to get what we want, we'll work with our own hands. Many years ago, Mark Twain, right in the midst of his popularity, was in some real financial difficulties. And so the New York Times Journal decided to start a movement to raise a lot of money to pay off his debt where he could give himself fully to, the, uh, to, to his work. And he declined. I, I wish I had time to read the letter whenever I read it, I, because I, to me this is the most brilliant thing that Mark Twain ever wrote. I, I don't have time for all of it, but it's just absolutely amazing. I'm going to read you just the... A little bit at the very end. I was glad when you initiated the movement, for I was tired of the fact and worry of debt, but I recognize that it is not permissible for a man whose case is not hopeless to shift his burdens to other men's shoulders. Boy, I tell you, we live in a different day now, don't we? 
I mean, it seems like everybody has got their hand out or their hand in your pocket, and everybody is trying to get something for nothing. That's one of the things that's ruining America. We need to get back to the proper work ethic that is established in the Bible. Let me give you six things that we need to remember about this matter of work. Number one, work is ordained by God. You'll see that in Genesis 1 and also in Genesis chapter number 2. God ordained that we work. God intended for man to work. It was never God's intention that we have nothing to do. We are created in God's image and God works and we ought to work. Secondly, it is intended for a lifetime. Let me read you this first, Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 19. I'm saying that work is intended to be for a lifetime. In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat thy bread till thou return unto the ground. Well, that's pretty clear. God expects us to work till we die. Now, that doesn't mean that people cannot and should not retire from their employment. It doesn't mean that. Sometimes we get to where we're not physically able to do the things that we used to do. And that's understandable. But there's never a time in our life where there's not something that we can do and that we should do. I've seen more people over the years finally reach a retirement age and they retire and it's not six months until they're dead. God intends for us to work, for us to be busy doing something that is important. Number three, work is fulfilling. Listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2.24. There's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Work is fulfilling. I'm telling you, if 8 a.m. Monday is the worst part of the week for you, and if 5 p.m. Friday is the best part of the work for you, you've got the wrong attitude. God expects your work to be fulfilling, not frustrating. God expects us to enjoy that which we are responsible for. And we need to stop thinking about work as being punishment from God and think about the fact that God has enabled us to work for our profit and our pleasure. I don't know. It seems to me job satisfaction is at an all-time low today. We gripe and we complain, now I'm just going to quit and, and things not right. Let me tell you, you can get up in the morning and you've got the strength to get up and stand on your own two feet. You've got food in the cupboard. You've got shoes on your feet and you've got a roof over your head. Let me tell you what, listen, there's a lot of people who like to be in your shoes and you gripe and complain about your job when there are people out there that don't have a job. You need to thank God for what you've got instead of griping about what you don't have. Then number four, work demands obedience. Just turn over just a page in your Bible to Colossians chapter number three. Just a couple of pages. Colossians three. And I want you to notice what Paul says to the servants in verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. This is written to Christian. Listen, these were Christian people, but they were still slaves. And you ask yourself the question, could I be satisfied 
Were I trapped in some sort of a political system where I am subjected to slavery, you better be careful before you answer. Here they are, and Paul says to them, Obey your masters. Some people out of a job right now simply because they will not listen to God and they will not listen to the authority that God has placed them under. If you're going to, listen, if you're going to hold a job, you're going to have to learn to take orders from somebody because nobody's able to do everything they please. The prison system is full of people that tried to live that way and it doesn't work. So work demands obedience. If a man won't work, neither shall he eat, the Bible says. Number five, our work should be done with excellence. He goes on in Colossians and says, whatever you do. Remember, what's he doing? He's doing what his master told him to do. And he said, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. In other words, do it with all of your heart. And then here in Ephesians chapter 6, he addresses these same people. In verse 5, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. And he says, verse 6, not with eye services men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. You know, we live in a day where we don't see much pride in our work. There's not any pride in craftsmanship today. We live in a day where shoddy work has become the order of business. One of the things that's hurt America and a lot of businesses is just producing inferior products and then wonder why in the world somebody started buying stuff made, you know, in some foreign country. About ruined the auto industry. Sure, I think it's a great idea. Somebody says, buy American. I'm all for that. That's wonderful. But I'll tell you what, you need to get the labor unions out of the stinking business and let the men and people get competitive out there in the marketplace and produce something that is a good product. You won't have to worry about those from Japan and other places coming in and taking your business. There's just no pride in workmanship today. Most Americans today, you know, they, they just look for, for whatever they can get and the cheap and easiest they can get out of it. Let me ask you a question. What is it that Americans really value? I think we'd be lying if we said it was hard work. I don't think that's on the top of the list, do you? Let me tell you what we value. I'm going to show you. All you've got to do to find out what we value is to look at the income of the entertainers and the athletes. That's all you've got to do. And you open up the sports page and you see so-and-so signed a contract, 10 million a year, 15 million a year. And these are average ball players making that kind of money. And you see entertainers like Oprah and different ones. God help me, I've never figured out how she entertains anybody, but... I don't understand that for the life of me, how somebody with so little abilities and talent could make so much money, like $100 million a year. I don't understand that. But I'm telling you, whenever you look at that, listen, that is what American people want. That's what they value. That's what they treasure. That's why millions of people sit in front of a television, brain dead, watching ball games. 
You say, were you against TV? No. You say, well, preacher, are you against watching ball games? No, not at all. I don't mean it that way. I'm talking about us getting our priorities so out of order that we spend more time, more money, more energy on entertainment and recreation and those kind of things than we do the things of the Lord. Instead of giving ourselves to things that require thought and effort, we've raised a generation of kids that want to sit in front of a television screen playing video games. And we wonder why they don't want to get out and work and get a job whenever they get older. Number six, work should be done for God's glory. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 tells us that everything that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. That ought to be your attitude when you get up and go to work in the morning. This is no minor point that we're talking about here. We're talking about working instead of stealing. And some way I get the impression that we still just don't get it when it comes to the seriousness of stealing. Turn over a few pages back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for just a moment. I want to show you how serious this is. Verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? I think we'd all agree you're in bad shape when you're not going to be a part of God's kingdom. Amen? Notice what he says now. Be not deceived. And I needed to say that because a lot of folks are. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Man, we look at all of that and we say, wow, those extortioners, and we think about, you know, those that are adulterers, and we, we learn some members guilty of committing adultery, and boy, they need to get that right. And by the way, they do. They need to get that right. It's become public knowledge. They need to let the church know and apologize, as it were, and let the church know they've made it right with God. Or some member comes staggering in drunk next Sunday morning, and we see that with our own two eyes, and it's obvious, listen, something's wrong in their life. Listen, when you join the church, if you take time to read it, every one of us signed, as it were, in our heart between us and God, a covenant with God Himself that we would abstain. And we would insist on it. Here is someone, old brother, Brother Stone come in and he couldn't even stand up. He was so drunk. I've been thinking it was his arthritis. and wasn't arthritis. It's Jim Beam. And he's drunk and he needs to get it right with God. And that's all true. But wait a minute. How inconsistent are we when we get all bent out of shape about people committing those sins and there are people sitting all over this auditorium probably that's stealing from God? Let me ask you, what are you doing with God's money? You're not giving it to Him. You're robbing God. What are you doing with it? And boy, I could do a number right here, and I'm going to spare some of you, but I could do a number right now, and you better thank God I don't. What do you do with the money that God puts in your hands? You don't tithe, let's say. You're not tithing. What do you do with it? I'm telling you, this is serious. We look at the, all of these sins listed here, and I, I could preach on any one of those sins. And it's, Amen, brother, preach on. You got it right. They need to repent. 
Boy, we get down to that one about stealing, though. Come in, come tax time. We don't worry about that. Cheat if you can. Don't pay your debts. I'll tell you right now, there's a bunch of you right here this morning, I'll guarantee you, if you'd pay, listen, if you got right with God, you'd have to pay your debts this very day. You know, I don't, listen, I don't mind somebody that cannot pay a debt. That's one thing. But think, when you go down to Sears and Sears or Montgomery Wards or walk in there, you know, and uh, you, you make this huge debt with them and then you just walk away from it. Is that right? Is it right? No, it's not right. And then we come in, we come into church and we sit down and we soak up the blessings of God. I mean, you listen, you have family, you have friends, you've got an automobile to drive, you've got a job to go to, you've got all of these blessings. How, how in the world can we turn around? And I know you're not sticking a gun in God's face, taking something from Him, but it's all the same. There's no difference. And we've got to understand how serious this is. And it's not just about tithing, by the way. One more thing. Notice the purpose defined. In the last part of our text, here's the purpose defined, that he may have, in other words, he's telling us, don't steal, but labor. Why? That he may have to give to him that needeth. This is speaking about our motivation. This is something that a lot of folks have never even thought about. Why should we labor? You know, listen, if we, can get an, if we can get the right people in Congress where we can get all of these entitlement programs and all of these handouts, why should we work? That's the mentality of a lot of people in America today. Oh, you extend, you know, you extend the unemployment benefits for a lot of people. I had somebody tell me just this week, ever since that happened, now you can't even get some people, they fill out an application and won't even take the job. Why? Because they know the government will give them the money. God help us in America where we've got such a, a mentality of entitlement that we'll refuse a job when God offers it to us. Now, here's something maybe you haven't thought of. There's nothing wrong with profit. Notice those words that we labor, why? That he may have. You see, it's the love of money, not money that's the root of all evil. And it tells us in 1 Timothy 5.18, the laborer is worthy of his reward. Americans ought to thank God for capitalism, and you better remember that when you go vote. Were it not for the gain of some, there would be no job for the others. And so he says, don't steal, but rather labor, that is, work to the point of exhaustion. Why? So that you can have. But he doesn't stop there. Notice the rest of this verse. That he, might, that he may have to give to him that needeth. You know, most people work only to give, but he's telling us here, or to get, and he's telling us here we ought to be working to give. You don't work just to get. You work so that you'll be able to give. And the point is, like Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
Your donation in life is much more important than the duration of your life. And we need to learn to be givers instead of getters. God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. And so we need to stop looking for a handout and we need to start lending a hand. Now, I'm almost through. Please hang with me. This lifestyle... Although it does not stop with the family, it must start with the family. If it doesn't start in the family, there's no way that it's going to become the mindset of the community. The Bible says that the person that does not provide for their own, it says they are worse than an infidel. You're worse than, worse than the unbelievers that are. You claim to be a child of God and you refuse to provide for your own. The parents are responsible to provide for their children. That's very clear right here in the Bible. No, no doubt about that. But if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 4, you'll learn also that there reaches a point to where the children become responsible to care for the parents. God, help us to understand when that ever happens. Huh. Isn't it amazing? I mean, I, listen, I love my kids as much as you love your kids, and I, I, I realize that I'm getting older all of the time, and I thank God for every little bit of help I get and everything anybody does for me. I thank God for this church that feeds my family, that takes care of us, and, and, and every time I hear those mowers out there, I listen, I thank God for the fact that the church is sending people over there to mow my yard so I don't have to get out there and mow it. Thank God for those that help. But I'm telling you, that's not the way it is with a lot of people in America the sad thing is there's some parents that spend their lifetime taking care of their children. It never ends, never ends, never ends, always going on. They spend their lifetime taking care of their children and then their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and finally they're too old to do anything and it's off to the nursing home until they die. Here's my point. If we would just simply do what God has commanded us to do, it would totally, drastically transform our nation. If we just started living by His rules, and instead of stealing and thinking of ways to steal and ways to get something for nothing, that we all become a productive member of society and work with our own hands, not just so we can get more for ourselves, but so we'll be able to do more for other people. It'll change our nation. But it all depends on this one thing, folks, and that is our relationship with God. That's what it all boils down to. Because until a person is saved, they're not going to have any desire to live according to the dictates of this book. They don't care about that. Stealing from God, that means nothing to them. They don't lose a, they don't lose a, a minute of sleep over that. But I'll tell you what, when you've been born again, when you become a child of God, there's absolutely no way in this world... You think about those sins just mentioned a while ago that I read from 1 Corinthians. You think about all of those sins. You're telling me you can be a child of God. And by the way, as a child of God, you can commit any sin anybody else can. 
Don't you, don't you get so high and mighty and so self-righteous that you think you can't fall and that you can't do some of those things. It can happen to any of us, by the way. But I'll tell you what, there's a big difference. When we're a child of God with the Spirit of God living in us, and we knowingly violate God's commandments, boy, the Holy Spirit begins to do a work on us. It begins to, it grieves us and it breaks our heart. And there's no way a child of God, out of the will of God, can have the joy of God. No way. It just won't happen. And the next thing is, when we don't listen, as a loving parent, God says, all right, you won't listen. I've tried to bless you. I've tried to warn you. You won't listen to me. God bends us over His knees, so to speak, and chastises us. Not pleasant. But I'll tell you what, the outcome is good. I've learned some good lessons from some bad experiences in my life. And I needed those bad experiences because God knew what it would take for me to get my head screwed on straight and start doing what was right. Now, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior... I don't want you to think for one minute, not one second, that I'm trying to get you to live up to some standard. I'm not even trying to convince you not to steal. I'm not trying to do that. Because your need is not to stop stealing. Your need is not to stop this and stop that and everything else. Your need is to be born again to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when that happens... When that happens, God begins to do a work in our heart. And we have a desire. I, while we were singing, I kept thinking about for some reason this morning, it seemed like every chorus that we sing, that every one of them, there was some, there was some statement that just cut like a knife. And I couldn't help but wonder to myself when we talk about surrender and talking about holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Baloney. That's not what the average person's longing for. It ought to be. Week after week after week, we go on playing games and being dishonest with God and robbing God in all kinds of different ways. And then we come down to this moment, the invitation, and we wonder. The steel curtain drops. Nothing but silence. Nobody saved. Nobody for baptism. Nobody joining the church. No Christians repenting of the sins that they're committing. We walk away and scratch your head and wonder. I just don't understand why nothing happened today. Yeah, you do. You know, I know, God knows. And if we want the blessings of God, we need to deal with those issues we have with God. It all starts with us getting honest about where we're at. He said, listen, you used to steal, you used to, don't do that anymore, don't steal. Labor with your hands, not just so you can get, but so you can get, so you can give. You're blessed to bless So, what kind of a blessing are you to others?
What if every member of the church had exactly the same attitude that you do? Brother Ron would fall over with a heart attack. That's, uh, his heart couldn't, couldn't take it. I'm, uh, I mean, listen, look at the offering plate and nobody put anything in. No, I didn't get a thing today. But Ron said, how am I supposed to pay the bills? We've got bills to do. How am I going to pay the bills? You, you see, what, what would it be like if everybody had your attitude? And think about what we could do if everybody had the attitude of the most generous, godly person in this church. There's no limit to what God could do. You've been blessed to bless. So let's be a blessing. Stand with me, please. We're going to ask our musicians to just play. We're not going to sing today. You can bow your head and pray right where you are. You can come to an altar and pray. Whatever it is God would have you to do. But this is the invitation. As the musicians play and as we reflect upon what God has been saying to our heart these last 30 minutes, just ask God what He would have you to do this morning, and then do it.